Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Now, we're going to jump back into the Word this morning. Uh, We're going to look at what we were looking at last week and kind of continue on with that whole theme. Uh, I had a wonderful week, Steve Long and uh, Apostle Andre, we went fishing up at Lake Erie, drove all night, Sunday night, we're out on the water early in the morning, and uh, I, lo- I had a revelation that a 58-year-old man who works inside all year long needs to put on sunscreen before he goes on on the lake. <laughs> I had no idea that a man's lip could swell from being sunburned. I had a big old fat lip, looked like I'd been in a fight and it all blistered, but other than that, it was amazing. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun, so uh, it's always good to go, and it's good to be home. So let's get into the Word this morning. All right, last week we were talking about this whole principle of, uh, I, I don't know how to word this, how to keep what you got. You know, it's one thing to obtain an encounter, it's another thing to maintain the freedom that you got from that encounter, Amen. And so we need to learn to steward our gains or govern our gains. We need to learn to keep what God does in our life. Uh, An encounter, whether it's a healing, a deliverance, uh, some revelation God gives you. When God touches you, there's always a revelatory component to that. What I mean by that is God's always trying to show you something. It's not just, he's not just going to touch you, he wants to enlighten you, he wants to teach you a principle. Because the way God takes ground in your life is to give you fresh revelation so that you grow into that, you begin to live that portion of the word, that revelation. You've got to live it out. And so there's a revelatory component to it, there's a relational component to every breakthrough that you ever receive. Uh, and the fact is that your encounter is an event, but the transformation that's supposed to come out of that encounter is a process. Let me say it again. The encounter, whether it's deliverance, whether it's a healing, and there is a process to healing, physical healing. You can receive a healing in the moment, but there is a process to follow on the backside. And there are people that actually lose a dramatic uh, physical healing because of their lack of stewardship of that thing. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking to fault people. I'm not looking to beat up on people. What I'm, what I'm trying to emphasize is we've got to understand this stuff. There is a battle to fight after the battle you've won. And there's a, there's, we need to learn to keep what God did in our life. And so the you that you were when you received the encounter was sufficient to steward your life up until that point. But that you is insufficient to steward the new you and the new future that God has for you. You've got to grow into your encounter. Your head needs to catch up with where your heart, what your heart is, what's happened in your heart. Okay, you need to wrap your head around it and you need to begin to learn to steward that. There is a relational component. We talked about that last week, that there are gonna be people that try to force you into being the person you used to be, even people that love you and uh, they have a, a deep affection for you. They may have even prayed you into your encounter. But those people will often resist the change because they don't know what to do with it. There was a reason they ended up in a relationship with the previous you. There was something in them that was attracted to the previous you. 
That's why, I'm gonna tell you, transformation is a package deal. When one person in a relational network, when, you know, maybe one member of a family, uh, one member of a church, whatever, one person that's working uh, somewhere and they get transformed, it is going to transform everyone around them to a certain degree. Unless that person succumbs to the peer pressure to go back to who they were before to keep the peace. And so we've got we've to understand. I was talking to someone recently, and they were sharing with me, and they, they got radically saved. And uh, in their words, they were not a nice person. They informed me I would not have liked them. And uh, they got saved, and their daughter said to them, they said, they said, I don't even know who you are. They got in a big argument. I don't even know who you are. And the dad said, well, did you like the person I used to be? And they kind of spat out, well, no, but at least I knew what I was dealing with. And that person was just being more honest than most people. Because there are subtle ways in which we accommodate dysfunction in our relationships. We don't even realize it until that dysfunction begins to disappear. And all of a sudden it throws the whole thing off. Many of you have heard me talk about this dynamic before. We used to have this illustration we used. As a matter of fact, we got it from John Marquez, the author of Christ Life. He used to talk about the canoe ride. And he'd talk about how somebody, when they were young, they went through some trauma in their life. Uh, on, you know, they're floating through the canoe of life, on the river of life. They're floating through their canoe. And all of a sudden, something traumatic happens on the left side of their canoe. And they're always bracing themselves for some kind of trauma. So they lean to the right. They're always worried about something happening again. So what do they do? They marry someone that leans to the left so they think they're normal. We both have our dysfunction, but our dysfunction balances each other out. And then along comes that troublemaker Jesus and touches one of them and they sit up a little. And then the other one's like choking on river water and saying, you lay back down. I didn't sign up for the healthy you. I signed up for the dysfunctional you because I fit with the dysfunctional you. I don't fit with the healthy you. And I'm telling you, this is a very real dynamic. So every time you have an encounter from God, just count on it. There's going to be some level of relational conflict. It's not because you did something wrong, it's because God's doing something right, and this is just part of transformation. There is a relational or a sociological uh, dynamic to every touch from God, every transformation that you receive. And the touch was the event, but living that out in that relational network is the process And that process is not completed until everybody in your relational network settles it once and for all. This is how they're going to be. They really have changed, and we're going to have to accommodate the new them. And until that's happened, you aren't done with the process. It's really how God transforms places. It's how God shifts culture. It's how God brings revival. It's God. Jesus is a disruptor. I'm telling you, he comes in to upset the apple cart. He really does. And uh, he's not shy about it. He's, I think he kind of laughs and giggles and just does it. Uh, he, he is the great disruptor. And so we've got to understand, there's the event and there's the process, whether it's uh, healing from uh, a physical healing, emotional healing, deliverance from the demonic, whatever, there is this relational component because you're, it's tied to your identity. And part of the process on the backside of your event 
of having a breakthrough is to begin to adapt, get a new identity, begin to see yourself differently, begin to hear what the Lord is saying about you, and allow him to change how you perceive yourself. Because if you don't change how you perceive you, nobody else will, and the pressures of that relational dynamic will force you to accommodate the old patterns, and you'll be right back where you were. There are a lot of people who have had encounters with God that they don't understand this backside process. And what happens is they've had just enough of Jesus to be inoculated to the next move. Been there, done that. I got touched. God, God touched me, and, but it didn't last. It wasn't because the touch wasn't real. It's because you didn't understand how to govern your gains and go through the process and this is a necessary dynamic. And so we want to continue to talk about this this morning. All right. I've got a bunch of different notes here. Where should we, where should we go here? Your future will require that you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your old mindsets are not sufficient to steward your future destiny. What God does is he takes us precept on precept, precept brings us glory to glory. And the way in which he does that is through revelation. I'm telling you, you cannot grow without growing in your knowledge. It's always a package deal. God will expand your understanding to take you into new territory. You can have two people living the same experiences, but one has a greater understanding than the other, and the one with the greater understanding will be able to take advantage of that situation. This is true in the business realm. This is true in the kingdom. This is true in the spiritual realm. And so God is always teaching us. So we need to understand, any time that the Lord touches you, he's trying to show you something new. Now, you, when you first have an encounter, I've had encounters with the Lord, and I've told them, God, I have no idea what that was. I have no scripture for that. I can't teach that. I don't know what that was. But what I did is, I, and I told the Lord, I said, God, I can't preach this because I don't, I know that was you, but I don't know where to find that in the Bible, and I will not teach it unless I can find it in the Bible. In fact, even though I had a strong conviction, I knew it was from God. I also knew I, he needed to show it to me in his word because any encounter, any deliverance, healing, whatever, emotionally, whatever God's doing in your life, anything God shows you something new, if you cannot eventually root it in the word, you need to discard it. Or at least set it on the shelf and say, God, until you show me, I ain't talking about it. And so God will begin to root, us, root it in our life. I remember there was a time where I had this encounter with the Lord down here during a prayer meeting. God showed me some things. I had no idea what that was about. I said, Lord, I don't have any scripture for that, but I know what you told me, and I know what I saw. The next morning, I, go I, I uh, not Googled, I punched into my concordance those words, and up came five verses, and the Lord took me on about a five-week journey of unpacking that. That is the way of heaven. God will always lead you into his word to root and establish that thing in your life. And if you can't root it and establish it in the word, then you better not begin to preach that. You better not begin to share that with others. The way it gets rooted is through the seed of the word. There's a fascinating study. A number of years ago, I was uh, teaching on the, the four types of soil. I almost said five types of soil. Four types of soil. I'm not going to add to the word. Four types of soil that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 13. I want to say it's Luke 8 and Mark 4. 
uh, all three of the synoptic gospels, he talked about this. And an interesting thing he says about those, that the parable of the soil, he said to his disciples, listen, if you guys don't know what this means, how are you going to know any of the parables? In other words, this parable holds keys for all the others. That particular parable that Jesus told took up more space, more print space in Jesus' teaching than any other teaching he did. So we need to pay attention to what he's saying. It holds the keys to unlock his other parables. And he spent an enormous amount of time unpacking the principles there. So as I was studying that, he talks about the four types of soils. We won't get into that this morning. I began to look up the germination of seeds. I just wondered, what, how does it that seeds work? And it was fascinating to me that the, the germination process really does follow the four types of soil. There's a process to germination. The first thing that happens is a seed has to be broken of its dormancy. A seed is a forest in a little, uh, little package that you can carry with you anywhere. It's, it's a, a fields of harvest. It can feed the world. It can grow uh, forests of trees. It's life in a little transportable package. It's an amazing thing. Rice has been found in vials in pyramids that are thousands of years old. And they plant that rice and it brings forth fruit. It just remains until it's called breaking dormancy. Until the dormancy is broken. I would propose to you two things. There are seeds within you by created design that God has put within you that lie dormant until they're broken open. And there are seeds in the word that God will plant in you that will lie dormant until the right conditions are met and then that thing will break open. There, there is potential within us that has to have the right conditions met in order for us to experience what's in that seed. So breaking dormancy, it's a fascinating thing. There's two ways that dormancy is broken. The primary way, the most common way that a seed's dormancy is broken, because there's what's called the seed shell. It's that hard, protective shell that enables you to carry those seeds, and they can, you can put them in any environment, you can freeze them, you can do what, all, all these things, and they'll still remain alive but dormant until the right environmental conditions are met. And one of the, the most seeds, there has to be a temperature, so there's, there's con external conditions for those things to happen. God will put words in you, but you've got to get into the right conditions for that thing to be broken open. There are some seeds that will not break their dormancy in certain environments, but they will in other environments. And sometimes, because we're not cooperating with God, where God wants to take us, when we refuse to go into a given environment, there are seeds within us that will never be broken open and reach their potential because we refuse to go there. And that, that certain situation, that condition is necessary to break open that potential in our life. So what happens is there's a temperature, some of them need darkness, you know, some don't. But here's what happens. They need water because seeds by nature are very dry and what happens is when they get into water, they soak up the water and the inside of that seed begins to expand to the point where it outgrows the limitation of the shell and it breaks open. And that is the beginning of what's called germination. 
And so here's the interesting thing. This, this I found this fascinating. That a seed, most seeds have built within them food sources they already carry with them. So you have this, this little tiny shell of potential that has the potential to grow forests and vast fields of grain and all those other things. And inside that little shell is the, the embryonic plant lying dormant, but it also has its own food sources for the first phase of growth. Now the reason this is important is I really do believe this, has, this is a, a really a pattern for a, how we interact with the word and how we interact with encounters from the Lord. The initial phase of when God does something in your life, that revelation has within it all the food sources that you're going to need. So you've got to feed on that revelation. Some of you can relate with this, and some of you have run into preachers like this, probably me at certain times, where when you get a revelation, all of a sudden that revelation is the answer to absolutely everything. When I was studying that, that thing blew my mind. Everything was about germination. Pastor, I have marriage problems. What you need is germination. Pastor, I have financial problems. What you need is germination. You know, the see, everything has to do with that. Why? Because that thing is so packed with what God is wanting to share with you, you're just consumed with it. It has its own food sources. And when that thing begins to break open, you're just pulling stuff out, and you keep pulling it out, and pulling it out, and pulling it out, and that's what you need to do. When God initially does a work in your life, you need to go after him for explanation. You need to go after him for the revelation of what he's doing and begin to mine the truths out of that. Jesus himself said there are some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold hearers. The Lord rebuked me years ago. I was preaching from this pulpit in this church on that very passage, and the Lord rebuked me, and he told me, he said, Dave, there are people that are receiving more out of your messages than you do. He wasn't complimenting me. He wasn't saying, oh, you're such a wise preacher. They're getting more than you. No, he was rebuking me. He was saying, Dave, listen, you are in such a hurry to study for next week, you're missing what I'm wanting to tell you this week. The danger for preachers and teachers is that we're so busy trying to put out material that God speaks something, we bypass our heart, file it away in our mind for another day, and we never allow it to transform us. If you're a preacher and you're a teacher, I'm going to give you something very valuable right now. If you will preach out of your own intimacy, if you will preach out of what feeds you and transforms you, you will have life on your mouth. But if you just preach sermons that you think apply to other people, but you will never allow it to convict and poke you, then you will have dead, dry sermons. You're not going to preach life. And so we need to realize that when God begins to speak to us about something, it's for us initially. Now eventually, that seed will produce fruit. What is fruit? Excess life. Fruit is life that that plant no longer needs. So it just grows some for someone else. 
People come by and eat the excess life and the plant's fine. Why? Because it has all its needs. Unhealthy plants aren't going to produce fruit. But when when they're healthy, they'll produce fruit for other people. But initially, it's got to be you feed off that. that. That seed feeds off itself. You can see this. When the apostle Paul had his, when Saul, before he was Paul, had his encounter with God, you remember that? It says he was breathing out murderous threats against the church. And all of a sudden he had what we call the Damascus Road experience. He was knocked to the ground, a flashing light. He went blind. Everybody else heard the word, but he didn't. I mean, he, he, uh, they didn't see, but they, they heard what he heard. And it was, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the pricks? Why do you kick against the goads? What he was saying is this, the Lord was speaking to Paul, to Saul, and a prick, a a goad, was a long like spear that was very sharp, and they would poke oxen or even mules, you know, uh, beasts of burden to get it to move in the right direction. And those animals would kick against them, but they would eventually learn pain, if I don't respond to this pain, if I'm not willing to be steered by pain, I will keep experiencing pain. This is for someone this morning. If I don't respond and turn when I feel pain, then I will continue to feel pain. And I, if, when I stop kicking and I cooperate, the pain will cease. That'll preach for another day, but that'll preach. And so what, what, was, what the word was saying is that Jesus was saying to Saul, you know I've been dealing with you. This wasn't the first flash of revelation that Saul had had. Something was going on behind the scenes in Saul's heart. God had been dealing with him. God had been convicting him. Probably when he saw Stephen stand up as stones are hitting him and his face glowed with the glory of God and he said, I see Jesus standing. Whoo! So when Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, but he stood for Stephen. And Stephen looked, and the glory was all over him. Rocks are hitting him. He's like, I see him. He's there. <laughs> oh, Saul was hitting the heart. Nobody knew it. But God was dealing with him. And most of us, if we think about it, we look at it, the encounter was simply the, the, the culmination of a lot of previous dealing in our life. There are things that God began to poke on and deal with us on, and then he, we see it. So what did Saul do when that happened? He says in Galatians, I didn't go and meet with the apostles. He, he went out on the backside of the desert, and he studied the word. He milked it for everything it was worth. I'm telling you, when God does something in your life, in fact, it was many of the religious leaders who would try to talk him out of what God was doing in his life. Later on, Paul was so rooted in his encounter, he confronted Peter and Barnabas, the guy mentoring him. He says in Galatians, I had to call him on the carpet. I called him out publicly. Boys, you guys are, you don't, you, you don't live like a Jew, but you're expecting These other converts, you are a Jew, you're not living like one, but you expect these Gentile converts to because you're concerned about what people are going to think. How did Paul become such a man of conviction, so established in what God had shown him? He took that initial revelation, and he was a hundredfold here, and he just fed on that. And I'm telling you, 
if I can communicate this, and you can take this, this will really help you. When God begins to show you something, there are what I like to call revelatory seasons in our life where God begins to show you a principle. And if you, it's like mining for gold. If you catch that little vein, you can keep on going and going and going and going. And sometimes it'll get a little thin and people will get bored. But I'm telling you, right after that thin part is a whole cavern of gold if you'll keep digging. And you will get so much out of one little thing. And there are others, they take a little peck, get a little rock, and then they want to talk about it and show everybody their little, their little nugget of gold when there was a whole mine that God wanted to open up to you. Tell you what, Paul Yadal, one of our external overseers, apostolic leader out of the Philippines, that guy is a man of revelation. And he knows how to Take a revelation and just keep extracting stuff out of it till he's worn it out. It's a beautiful thing. So first, your revelation has to feed on itself. A revelation out of the word, an encounter, be tied back into the word and begin to just take everything you can, write everything down, make notes, get everything you can out of that. And then once you've depleted the revelation out of that initial truth, it's the end of germination and it's what's called... Uh, establishment is what, what uh, in uh, agriculture or whatever, whatever the study of seeds would be. I, I, it'll fit under agriculture. There's probably a more technical name that I didn't look up on Wikipedia. Okay? But so there's germination and there's establishment. Establishment is marked by a couple of things. Number one, the depletion of the inward, the internal food resources, and the emergence of the radical. Boy, I like that. That'll preach. The emergence of the radical. It's the, the root and the emergence of the shoot. So out of the bottom emerges a root and out of the top emerges a shoot that will begin to manifest itself in the environment. I'm here. It begins to show up in your environment. Other people begin to see it show up on the landscape of your life. There's fresh life in that thar field. And so what happens is, at that phase, it now can no longer feed on itself. And here, here's where a real revelation becomes a cult. When you refuse to quit feeding on it, and you want to keep feeding on that, and everything remains about that, rather than moving into photosynthesis. Yeah, let, me, let me explain myself. Because some of you didn't listen in science class. So we're going to have to go back over this. I wish I didn't have to do this, but some of you were like your pastor and were sleeping in biology class or whatever class. So see, I don't even know what class we would have learned this stuff. I had to learn it as an adult. Okay. So there's, there's germination and then there's establishment. Establishment, it's, it, that is the end of the breaking of dormancy. There's a little shoot comes out and a little root comes down. It now no longer feeds on itself. It feeds on its environment. And it does so through the process we know as photosynthesis. Now here, this, this is fascinating to me. I hope it is to you because I'm going to talk about it anyway. Photosynthesis, photo means light, sin with thesis idea. Light with an idea. I would propose to you that God embedded this process in his word when he talked about seeds. See, it's a parable. 
The word parable literally means to throw alongside. Because we don't understand the kingdom. God's ways are what? Higher than our ways. So what does he do? He graciously condescends to our puny little intelligence and says, okay, listen, this is beyond you boys, but I'm going to... The kingdom of heaven is like farming. It's like a seed. Study that, come back, and we'll talk about it. So he throws alongside the physical, alongside the spiritual, so we can get light into the spiritual. Photosynthesis. You are are tying your light, the, the fresh light, in with your old ideas. So what was, for a moment in time, everything to you, becomes part of your overall theology, and you become more balanced in your treatment of that. And those that refuse to go to that next stage, I'm just going to, I want to be gracious here. But there are people who will write a book, and it's a revelation, and it sells well. So they're going to milk that thing. And pretty soon, volume 742 on my revelation on seed. Seed in relation to finance and seed in relation to marriage and seed. And we've got to be careful because we can, we can fail to move on when the Lord wants us to move on. What he wants to do is show us something, move us into new territory, we get a revelation, we feed on that until we've milked it of everything, but then we need to tie it into all the rest of our theology and feed off our environment, uh, all the other things the Lord has shown us And so then we become balanced and that thing begins to express itself in the landscape of our life. The third stage is fruitfulness. It's going to begin to bring forth fruit and that fruit is excess life so other people can enjoy uh, what God has shown you in the form of life flowing from you. But if you try to just jump in and teach that initially, you, you have the danger of being imbalanced. And so what Paul did is he, he didn't get on the preaching circuit right away. He went and got alone with God and he began to go through all the scriptures. Paul was blown away and devastated by his revelation. You know that? Here was a man killing Christians and all of a sudden, the God who had been dealing with him all this time manifested himself to him. And Paul, Saul, who became Paul, his response, who are you, Lord? <laughs> I know you're Lord. <laughs> that's, that's settled. You're in charge. But who the heck are you? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. When you persecute my church, you persecute me. And it broke Saul in half. And he began to unpack all his learning these, all that study in Judaism, some scholars believe that Paul had the equivalent of three doctorates by the time he was about 24 years old. Very brilliant man. And all of this was simply raw material that he could then go back and he began to tear through that and unpack that from that initial revelation. I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And he went into Isaiah. He went into the, you know, the Pentateuch. And he began to tie all these things together. And it became part of his theology so that he could become a fruitful man that others could benefit from. But when God does a work in your life, what you need to do is you need to begin to ask him about what he's doing. There are times when God touches you, it's not merely an event. It's a process, and that process is a season where you can mine that stuff out. And again, 
Don't be a 30-fold hearer. Don't just get a little bit out of what God's doing in your life. I was talking to a couple recently, and the wife was referring to my word. When I get into my word, and it struck me because I could see the word in her. I could, I could see the fruit of the word that this woman had got into the word over the last number of years. Now, I've known them for years, and it wasn't always to that degree. I don't know what their walk was. I knew them, but I'm telling you, there's something different about the, the way they're living, and there's, there's fruit in their life. I could feel the weight of their words, and they spoke of it as my word, and I, I made the comment, and I don't usually hear guys talk like that, but I hear there's over my life, there's been a number of women that I've met that speak of it as, I got into my word this morning. They own that thing. And it's not just a cute phrase. It's, it's their lifeline. And some of the most godly people I know, the people that I look and I see there's fruit in their life, are people who have gone through hell and come out the other side saying, my word carried me through. You know the other way a seed is broken out of dormancy? Most seeds are broken out of dormancy through the absorption of water, which is one, uh, manifest, or one uh, symbol of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, right? Absorbing water. I, I've prayed for people. Remind, if I forget this, remind me, John, that I'm going to go into the other way to break dormancy. Okay? My mind, I had a lot of sun this week, Okay? I've, I've prayed over people and seen this before. Matter of fact, it was probably about 23 years ago now. Out in Arizona, they had one of those rare times called, they may have had it since then, but it's called the Desert Bloom. Anybody ever seen that? It's beautiful. What it is, it's that desert-like landscape. It's barren. But every now and then, they'll get a lot of water and there's all these dormant seeds underneath and it, they bloom and it's beautiful. It's acres and acres and acres of what once was a desert is now acres of flowers. It's beautiful. It's the desert bloom. Why? Just add water. And I've seen this over people. I remember there was a young guy that he had been deeply touched by revival and then went through some hard things. And this was way back in the old building. And I went to lay hands on him and all of a sudden I saw him like a package of dried, powdered soup. And the Lord told me, the seeds are already in him. Just add water. All that God had put in him was just waiting to be activated by that water, the water of the Spirit. That's why we've got to get around the outpouring of the Spirit. So there's that one way. I don't even need John to remind me. There's one way that dormancy is broke. The other way, and these are more rare, rare seeds, but these are valuable seeds. There are some things in your life that are like these seeds. There are some seeds, the way that dormancy is broken is through fire, heat. They will lie dormant until a forest fire comes burning through. And the heat of the flame is what breaks that shell and then the life is released. There are certain things in our life that are of great value that the only way to bring that potential out of us is get us in the fire which, by the way, is another symbol of the Holy Spirit. But it's also a clear symbol in Scripture of the fiery trials, of going through hardship. 
And there are certain things that God wants to bring out of you that you will never touch, that there's potential within you, greatness, there is, there is uh, fruit that other people need to eat from your life. But the only way it's going to be accessed is if God can break that shell, and the only way he can do it is putting you through the fiery trials. And if you will hold to your word during those times, if you will learn to allow the word of God to be your lifeline that you dig into and you're, you're getting everything, you're, it becomes your life source that when you're struggling, you go back to the word and you, God, you've got to speak to me today. I'm telling you, the most precious moments in my life, I love to preach. There are times where I, when I'm preaching, I, there's that thing where you know it's the word of the Lord. There are times, this, this, I don't, this might sound arrogant. I'm just telling you. There's times I've stopped. I thought, I want to write that down. I want to take notes on myself. I did not know that till I got up there. Because you hit an anointing. That is a wonderful thing. And I was created for that. And I believe that's our blood-bought heritage, all of us. When we're doing what we were called to do, let me put it this way. There's, you cannot be fulfilled without fulfilling the purpose for which you were made. The only way to be fulfilled is to fulfill your purpose. But I'm telling you, sharing the word takes a way back seat. There's nothing more precious than being alone with Jesus and him giving you a word. I wouldn't trade that for anything. And some of the times when the Lord has given me those kisses from his word were times where I was going through hell. There were times where I'm like, Jesus, I'm not suicidal, but if you want to take me now, I won't stop you. <laughs> I'll put a do not resuscitate shirt on, you know, and just let you take me. And when the Lord comes in those moments and you know God himself took out time from running the universe to speak to you, there's nothing like that. That's what we were created for. And I'm telling you, there's some of those revelations in those moments you can never have outside of a fiery trial. Fact is, the way we are, there's sometimes God can't get enough of our attention without those fiery trials. The wonderful thing about God is I, I've had the Lord, just like many of you, I've had the Lord speak a lot of things to me over the years that I've got archived away. And I can remind myself of those things and all of a sudden I'm back in that encounter. I, I'm, I'm enjoying that again. The thing, it's not the things I read by someone else, it's the things I heard from him through his word that have kept me and carried me. And the wonderful thing is, for the life of me, I can't remember the trial. I don't remember the context in which that thing came. I remember I was going through a hard time. What it was about, I have no idea. But I'm telling you what I got out of that thing. God wants us to mine everything we can out of what he's doing. Some of you, not last week, the week before, were powerfully touched by the Lord. I'm telling you, you are in a revelatory season if you will seize it. And you, if you start getting alone with the Lord, and you just start asking him, Lord, what were you doing when I was on that floor? What were you doing when, and I'm telling you, he longs to share with you. To him, it's a very precious thing where he's able to break in and begin to do a work in our life. 
feed on the hidden resources in that seed. Because that seed is meant to feed many, many people down the road. But initially, it's to feed that initial revelation of who he is to you. And you just milk that and begin to germinate and, and pull everything you can out of that. God wants us to be hundredfold hearers. I was preaching for Paul Yadow many years ago at, at his church. And it was interesting. We, they, uh, their movement, they're really all over the world, different nations. And they, they have one church here in the States at least. Uh, but the, the mothership of that movement was on a college campus. They had seen tremendous moves of the Spirit on that college campus, but they were never able to sustain it until Paul received an impartation from life. Matter of fact, they, the founder of the movement wasn't Paul. He was one of the young protégés. This guy was a very strong prophetic, had a strong prophetic gift, had fathered all these young guys. Paul and his wife, Elmira, were on the mission field and the leader just said, I'm done. I'm leaving. And they were all left fatherless. And so Paul lost his support, came home and became the heir apparent. Just started loving on these guys. Right after that, one of their young workers was killed in a tragic accident at a conference they were running. Uh, just everything was crashing in down around him. And Paul and Amir were telling the Lord, God, we need a spiritual father. Our spiritual father abandoned us. And we were young. We need somebody to speak into our life. And the Lord had told them, you're going to know who your spiritual father is when he prays for you. Oil will run from your hands. So they grabbed onto that. They believed it. Well, lo and behold, they got invited to a Lutheran church in Minneapolis for a conference on missions. It was, just, it was the week before Randy Clark was going to have his healing school up in Minneapolis at that Lutheran church. It would be Randy, Bill Johnson, and Leif Hetland. So Leif is one of the speakers at this missions conference and he's sharing about ministering to Muslims and how God has used him. And their hearts were burning because they, they felt such a call to Islamic nations. They wanted to, they wanted to preach. They, they loved uh, the Muslim nations, wanted to bring Jesus to them. And so Leif was praying for people and people are flying all over and they get up to Leif and he prays for them and boom, they flew through the air and Went, wiped out some chairs, and they stand up, and oil's flowing from their hands. So Almira went to Leif and said, will you father us? And Leif said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, I'm, I, I've got an opening in nine months. I could come to the Philippines. You know, we could, I could spend some time with you, and let's just, you know, we'll, we'll keep in touch, and let's see. And she said, no, we need a father. <laughs> she wasn't taking no for an answer. Leif was kind of like, okay. He said, what's your name? She said, Almira. He said, I love you, I believe in you, I will father you. Kissed her, boom, she hit the floor. Said the same thing to Paul, boom, he hit the floor. And Paul is a man of revelation. I'll tell you the rest of his story in just a moment. You've got to understand, their movement was started on a college campus. They would have tremendous moves of God, hundreds saved, but they couldn't sustain it because Paul was missing the father's love in his life. And so what happened, they, this movement that they started, it was on the campus of a seed bank, the world's largest seed bank of rice seed. All these different forms of rice. And the lady that was in charge of the seed bank, the woman that held the key to the vault, 
was going to Paul's church. So I'm there to preach. I'm asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to say to these people? And the Lord began to speak to me and said, you notice how Paul is a man that stewards my word and gets everything he can out of the seed of my word. He knows how to germinate, ruminate, get things out of the word. He said, it's not a coincidence that their movement is on the campus of the largest seed vault in the world and that the woman who holds the keys is part of their movement. It's part of their inheritance. And I've learned from Paul, man, just keep asking the Lord. He'll get, he'll get volumes out of just two phrases. It's amazing, but he's learned to just keep extracting and keep pulling until the Lord stops speaking. You want to hear the rest of the story with Paul? Come back next week. Let's, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, so what happened? Paul goes home and uh, he starts spending all night long, eight hours a night with the Lord every night. And uh, he, would, he would go to bed early in the morning, sleep for a few hours, get up, and God was speaking to him. I mean, he would spend, it, this went on for like two, two and a half years where he spent all night with the Lord, soaking in the presence of the Lord, and God would speak to him. And then he released it to the, the movement. Well, not too long after Leif prayed for them, uh, they invited Leif to come to their conference. And uh, so he... He turned down a, a meeting with 5,000 people to come hang out with this young Filipino couple and their small movement and uh, spent a week with them. And while he was preaching, he mentioned one phrase. He said, the kingdom will come through family. And when he said that, this big feather appeared and floated to the ground. Leif thought, that was cool. You know, big orange feather. He used to carry it around in his Bible. That was cool. A little sign and wonder. But that's not how the Filipinos looked at it. They didn't think that was cool. They said, we need to go back in the tape and find out where, when did that feather appear? Because God was highlighting something. And they realized he said it when he said, the kingdom will come through families is when the Lord marked that word with a sign. So for the next year, they built on that family theme. Leif came back the next year. The place was cooking. I mean, they're having explosive growth. The power and the presence of God was tangible. It was amazing. And Leif was like, what happened? How did you, how did you build this? And they said, well, we built it on what you said. What? He, they said, you said the kingdom. I was just a comment. Yeah, look at this. But they extracted that word. That was a word from the Lord. And they kept extracting from it. And they built a worldwide movement on one word from the Lord. Now, they've added to it all these other things. But I'm telling you, what God has begun in you, there is more to be extracted out of that encounter. Do not reduce your encounters to a mere event, a story to be told. It is a turning point. It's a break-in of heaven that God wants you to begin to steward so it will truly be a transformation. We're not looking for encounters. We're looking to be transformed. Now, the encounter can be the catalyst. But you got to follow up and cooperate with what the Lord is doing. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand.
just read a couple more things here. Promotion is often marked by new relationships. That relationship represents the usher who will open doors, often by opening your mind to new ideas and opportunities. That relationship must be guarded. They will stretch you precisely because you will need to be stretched to fulfill your new assignment and space. People often withdraw from relationships that stretch them, choosing comfort over opportunity and the familiar over fruitfulness. They either judge their usher in order to justify their mediocrity or they view themselves as unworthy and would withdraw. Each is an attempt to resolve the tension in their own soul. The right response is to stretch into their future. This is what I'm talking about as identity. Anytime God touches you, he's going to always do two things. He's going to give you a new view of him and a new view of you. And the new you is the one that's prepared to steward the future. The old you, once God touches you, the old you is now insufficient to go into your future. It's time to get down to work and allow the Lord to speak to you and extract those words to transform your identity, to see him in a new way and to see yourself in a new way. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.